What's up, guys? Welcome back to the full feature podcast. My name is Jack, and today I'm joined, as always, by Tiernan. What's up? And Ian. Hello, people. And this week, we're going to try something a little bit different. We're always going to go into our movie news, um, but then we're also going to uh, bring forward three movies that, that each of us watched this week, and then we're going to finish off that a movie that we all watched. Um, so let's just jump straight into the movie news. Um, so I'll, I suppose I'll start off with this. It's um, Michael Keaton is back on board for The Flash. So he is confirmed to be in The Flash and he's being filmed in The Flash. So do you think this is like a um, like a pathway into them bringing him into the Batman? Yeah, I mean, it must be Flashpoint is all I can kind of wrap my head around. It's either like flashpoint or he's going to be like an older disenfranchised batman but that wouldn't make sense because of batfleck so it must be flat flashpoint and they're yeah just it makes sense obviously aim and have a bit the, of fun with it yeah i think they're gonna go for the kind of multiple universe kind of thing or you know which you know they're seeing the success of other things and they can get wackier with it and i, I was really surprised that uh i forgot that like ben affleck was like in this movie and all and i was like you know maybe th- th- you know there is hope for the the DC extended universe a little bit, like as we said after the Snyder cut. So I, I'm kind of interested in this, and I will watch it. Like you know what I mean. And I, I definitely am um, as well. I'd say they looked at the feedback that everyone wanted Toby Maguire to come back and Andrew Garfield <laughs> to come back as Spider Man, and they were like, "Fuck it, where's Michael Keaton? Let's like, get Michael Keaton. Well, Fuck it, let's like, get Mark Wahlberg like, uh, as well. Why the fuck not?" <laughs> I wonder did they approach Christian Bale first because Michael Keaton is definitely like the second option to Bale and yeah, and Bruce yeah, Wayne's, but... yeah, and then it was, and then it was probably Val Kilmer and then George Clooney right at the bottom of the list. <laughs> can't get anybody. We'll get George Clooney back. But it, it would be interesting to see which way they go with it. Um, I, I wonder if what's Adam West's approach. Is that like that? <laughs> he's dead. He's been, oh, he's shit, yeah, Adam West is dead, isn't he? <laughs> he's oh, dead shit. A while, That's so, so sad. I don't think... Adam I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Gee, Wilker's Batman. You're super dead. <laughs> they get like a... They get like a bit of a weekend at Bernie's thing going on with Adam West in the new yeah. movie. <laughs> what do you know? I... Uh, it, it definitely sounds like an interesting route to go down. Flashpoint is one of the like better storylines in the DC storylines, yeah, especially for sure, yeah. Flash. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that. I'd say it's good. Yeah, it kind of feels like a good way to get all of the somewhat decent characters that existed in the Snyder Cut and get them and out of that universe. They've been setting it up as well because I mean, Ezra Miller was in the Flash TV series and he came face to face with. Uh, Grant Gustin, who plays Barry Allen on the TV show. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, there's like a whole scene. It's actually re- it's a funny scene. You should look it up. But um, it it's funny as well because in the entire Schneider cut, um, the Flash isn't actually called the Flash. So when he comes face to face with the Flash in the TV series, he's like, "You're the Flash," and he's like, "What? What's the Flash?" <laughs> and stuff like that. So it, it was a <laughs> it's definitely an an interesting scene. So it'd be funny to see where that takes off from. Mm, mm, definitely. Um, Mads Mikkelsen has joined the next Indiana Jones film. They just keep adding the weirdest people to this cast. I mean, he's obviously going to be the villain. Like, you know what I mean? I can see that happening. He looks evil. Um, they, I mean, they've got you know him. They've got Phoebe Waller Bridge. Like, it's just, it's just going to be weird. I think, and somehow you know, convinced Harrison Ford to be in another one. I would imagine what a gigantic pile of money. So he can, you know, 
build his renovation on whatever his LA home or something like that. But he I probably mean, I needs to fucking know. repair the last plane he crashed. <laughs> <laughs> no one Harrison like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no sign care. of Shia LaBeouf yet added to the cast. No, list, it's, not gonna no. it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Let's be real. That oh, man turned his back on Yeah, he was. Yeah. And um, I thought he was recovered I, since like Honey Boy and stuff like that. I thought he was back to the norm, but no, I think he was arrested. No, again. I think I think yeah, you know he's he's been. You can always rely on Shia to just do something absolutely batshit crazy since the last <laughs> he was in. Like, but yeah. I just think he's he got a lot of hate for Indiana Jones as well. Like he he really took a lot of um, a lot of flack for that, and uh, you know I don't like. You know, so many things make sense as to why Shia is the way he is. You know, the shit he got for the Transformers movies and the shit he got for the Indiana Jones movies. Like, I mean, you can just see why he would not want to go back to a franchise like that. So, I don't yeah. know. Hopefully, they get creative with this this new one. Um, I assume is Spielberg, you know, I don't know if he's directing, but I assume he's attached to the project. Well, it'd have to yeah, be attached to the, like, material. He's yeah. getting a shitload of money. <laughs> that's that's his attachment to the project <laughs> there's also in, in talking about Shia LaBeouf who uh, is obviously like a batshit child actor um, or former child actor anyway um, Macaulay Culkin is getting is engaged to Brenda Song who played Long yes and they, had a, they, had, they, they had a child together Oh, I did. and yeah, they had a child together, and now they're just recently engaged, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they they they've been dating for a few years, which I thought was crazy. And the the way I found I found it in such a weird way, I was basically watching the latest season of the Eric Andre Show, and yeah. uh, Macaulay Culkin was in it for like a split second, um, as like a part of a, a bit joke, and then uh, Brenda Song was in like a whole segment, and one of the comments under it was like, "Oh, you know, you just like someone was like." I heard Brenda got onto the show because Macaulay convinced her to go on to the Eric Andre show. And then I looked up the two of them and it turns out they've been together for the last few years. And I was like, that is the weirdest celebrity coupling I have ever heard. It really life. is, isn't it? Because It's like, so strange. Macaulay's like a really quirky fella, like a really quirky fella. And he's also yeah. into the ringer. And uh, <laughs> I always thought Brenda Song was one of like the Disney girls who like didn't really capture the public eye in terms of like their no projects, she didn't you yeah. know so it she did everything's looking up macaulay you know fair play to macaulay yeah I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him s- settle down with miranda cosgrove <laughs> or something you know <laughs> we can only hope we can only hope Pretty sure he's like 20 years older than <laughs> <laughs> no i think i think she's like i think she's like early 20s and he's like just early 30s so maybe you never know um, sure, Florence Pugh's going out with Zach cool. Braff. It's fine. Furiosa, Chris Hemsworth, and Anya Taylor Joy. It's been the it's the it's been filmed in the Australian outback, and it's going to be the biggest film ever made in New South Wales. Wow, interesting. Um, I really, you know, I've I've been dying for a Mad Max movie since Fury Road came out. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I love George Miller, the director. He's just a man who's very passionate about his projects. And I love that he films them in Australia and stuff as well. Like he shoots them in the Australian desert and stuff. It's just, I love it. But uh, I also am just reading here. It's, this isn't coming out till 2023, which is insane to think. Like when the last Bad Max movie came out, when did Fury Road come out? That was, was 2015. Like that's 2015. So that's, that's eight years in between movies which i think is absolutely insane you know just given nowadays what you know what what uh 
you know, franchises are like, you know what I mean? They just churn them out so much. You know what I mean? They get them out within the next year. But I'm glad that, you know, he's taking a break. And he, I'd say he's, uh, I'd say he's, George Miller is putting a lot of effort into this. And I can't wait for it. I love Andy Taylor-Joy. I think she's yeah. perfect casting for it. So I'm excited. I think, though, that it, it, why it's been eight years is because I think that we touched on this in a previous podcast, but it's so much to follow. Like, I would not oh, be making a, a Mad Max cinematic <laughs> Fury Road because it's... No. Like, it doesn't matter how good it is, you can only expect it to be downhill. Yeah, I know, you know, I know. But then again, you know, you know, George Miller, he made the original Mad Max trilogy and, you know, people love that one, especially the second one. And then he came back to the franchise the guts of 20 years later and he makes an absolute banger of a film so i have every i have every faith in yeah. what george miller is going to do with this film i mean i i don't suspect that it will be in any way bad <laughs> no yeah yeah i get but i do get you it's got a ridiculously tough like, act to follow it won like. six oscars for yeah <laughs> that was the funniest <laughs> and, thing ever like, and i mean like for so the film it is you really wouldn't see that winning six oscars but no yeah, no excellent film all no Mm. Uh, will we get into our individual movie guys yeah yes, yes give, I think so. yeah we can give each other like five minutes to go through the plot um, and kind of discuss what happens in the movie without spoiling it so mm. uh, we're all doing movies who which has been nominated for an Oscar uh, so mm-hmm. I'm doing Love and Monsters and this has been nominated for the special effects on the movie which I must well, say no, mine isn't nominated it's just a new okay. movie Yours got a lot of gold. Yours got a lot of gold gold buzz. So, (laughs) Uh, yeah, Oscar buzz. Anyway, Um, so mine was nominated. Love and Monsters was nominated for the uh, achievement in visual effects, and I must say that the visual effects look unbelievable in this film. It like it pops out in the screen. But basically, what it follows um, the main character called Joel, and uh, he kind of like narrates what happens in the apocalypse. Um, hmm. so basically what happens is this is like the opening scene in the movie is there's a giant asteroid coming to earth and all of earth's superpowers decide to fire a lot of rockets at it and um, it's really successful and it breaks up the the asteroid but all of the chemicals come back down uh, onto earth and it makes all of the creatures on earth like super um like basically radioactive and and really really big and like they're all like hideous monsters um and it opens up with joel and he has survived the monster apocalypse which is what they call it here and um he is in a bunker and he's been in the bunker for the last seven years and everyone in the bunker is like getting together and like everyone's so happy and he's kind of like a loner um who you know doesn't really have anyone's love and he says throughout like the bunker like everyone kind of does everything in couples like the whole thing is about being mm. in a couple yeah. um so he, uh he has a girlfriend called amy and they get separated and there's a little bit of, like backstory into that they get separated before the monster apocalypse um and they each go to like different um different bunkers basically and he basically sets out on this venture to kind of find her after seven years and um, meet up with her. And then, of course, he goes to the surface and it's he's to cross basically America. And it's just a really, really fun, entertaining kind of monster romance uh, like movie. It's a comedy drama um, and it's really, really fun. Uh, it looks brilliant. Uh, the acting is pretty good. Um, I mean, I can't complain with these type of movies. It's kind of like a mindset. Like, you know, I really enjoyed Jumanji, but I'm not expecting, you know, 
Joe Pesci to win an Oscar for it or whatever, like, you know, or The Rock to win an Oscar. Like, I'm not expecting major acting chops, but like, it, it's a very, there's like a really cool dog companion. There's a couple of like really great characters that he meets going out throughout, and uh, it just has a real fun vibe throughout it. Um, the only thing I'd say is I wish it was rated 15s because the monsters look great and like there's loads of kind of action in it. But I'd love for like you know more blood and guts basically. Um, so they kind of they kind of tamed out, did they? On the like the like is it. Is it a kids-friendly movie? Like, what's the age on it? Like, it's it's 12s. It's 12A. Okay, yeah. Um, but, like, again, it's still really, really entertaining. I can't kind of give it any negatives because I sat down, I was entertained, and I laughed a couple of times. But it's definitely worth a watch. It's on Netflix right now. Um, and it just yeah, I saw it trending during the weekend, but I didn't... I didn't see a lot of hype for it, but I saw it's been trending all week. Like, so it's clearly getting, and the fact that it's nominated for an Oscar as well is pretty good indication that like a huge amount of effort went into it, even though it's like not necessarily a huge film. Yeah. And like, it's, I mean, you're like, don't go into this movie expecting like a kind of, you know, hard hitting drama or whatever. Like it's, it's it knows exactly what it is and it plays to its strengths. And like, I can't fault it really for, for doing that because like, I always say this, that movies, are there to entertain us and this definitely entertained me and mm. it's just kind of funny like you know when you're in the like it's a real sunday night movie and it'd be great to watch with a couple of mates um, yeah 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 d- d- well worth it well worth the well worth a netflix subscription for the month because i watch about two things on netflix <laughs> <laughs> it looks uh, it looks very like maze runner vibes yeah in a way i think it's the same guy is it dylan o'brien is he like it is the same guy yeah he's i think he's the star of uh who i always mix up with your man from 13 reasons why and wallows they're like they're interchangeable in my head yeah clay (laughs) (laughs) what's his name actually interchangeable in my head like i think i think is his name dylan as well i'm actually starting to think his name is dylan as well dylan minette yeah. Dylan Minnette! <laughs> They're both called Dylan! He was in a film called funnier. Open House, and I gotta say, that's one of the worst movies. The worst film I've ever seen. Like, that was a Netflix rated. original as well. That was yeah. absolutely god awful. Absolute try. Is this a Netflix original, Jack? No, but I think it could. If Netflix were smart, they'd buy the rights to make two or three of these because, like, oh really? It has potential oh, for like a franchise. A franchise. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a bit like the Knives Out. Like, there's a little bit of buzz around this. It knows exactly what it is, and like it, it's like, it's not like a teen movie, you know, in those teen movies where there's like it's so formulaic and you know what's gonna happen or whatever. Like, yeah, this yeah. was just this was just good. It was just good. Like it's he's not like a teen in it. He's like an adult, so like it's it's pretty good. Like you know, he's like a twenty five to twenty six. Yeah, I get it. Doesn't fall in that like young adult trap of like the Maze Runner because like while I enjoyed those movies, they're a very distinct type of young adults. You know what I mean? You just know they came from a book that was written by some fucking that has like a young adult crowd and it's like aimed at teens but like yeah this didn't that, seem like, like the that. author read the hunger games like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> i thought i could do that <laughs> but uh so you'd, you'd recommend it then yeah definitely i might actually give it a watch because it seems like it looks like an easy watch and it, like i'm over it's a really easy film. watch and like and uh, yeah, it's, anything it's being on Netflix is so accessible. It's good to like preface that we we were intending to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah, which we'll get around to next week. But you can only find it to be rented for twelve quid. So this was like our first. And it's only on 
with yeah. just and it's also like to rent it. <laughs> it's it's not like as well it's not in a it's not particularly accessible either like it's not on amazon prime to rent or it's not on no i don't think it's on sky to rent either so yeah it's yeah. not exactly I'm, the most I'm accessible movie ever Rakuten. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> it's uh I, I it's definitely our first encounter with a, a film that we didn't really want to spend the money on and uh it's it's interesting to say that because I, I was going to buy it and then I was like 12 euros like most of the time when I go for a cinema I literally get a fiver deal and like it's yeah. <laughs> for a film exactly. that I really want to see as well the cinema's <laughs> so, free the yeah cinema's the cinema is free basically so I'm not paying 12 euro at home that's extortionate but um <laughs> I can nearly get three cinema tickets for that like but um <laughs> exactly will we move on then will we go on to yeah the let's get film? on to our next film yeah or do you want to rate that before we go Jack uh, I give it like a solid seven. Solid nothing, seven. Nothing. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. Do, does exactly. It's it's uh, it does exactly what it says in the tin. Right. Interesting. So, uh, do you want to go ahead? Or do you will I? Um, you go ahead there, turn. You you take it your next movie. Right. So the film I watched this week uh, isn't nominated for any Oscars, but I actually think that it's a film that's very refreshing to kind of see coming out and to talk about at the minute because. We, we've been covering a lot of heavy hitting kind of drama and I feel like the drama's really gotten quite um, on top of itself in the pandemic. I feel like they've really like steered into the dramatic side of film rather than yeah, kind of time. like it, it's just refreshing to have a lighthearted film. So the film that I, uh, I'm covering is Palm Springs and this is by Max Barbacow Barbacow and it is an Andy Samberg production essentially. It's I think it's I think it's actually produced by Lonely Island. And um, what it is, is uh, it centers around a wedding, but it's also kind of a time loop scenario. So very similar to it, it stems from Groundhog Day. And then it, there's also references actually in the film to Groundhog Day, Happy Death Day and Edge of Tomorrow. I think we've covered like the whole concept of the time loop on this, but essentially yeah. it, it's playing on onto that but also being like incredibly self-aware, which is nice to see. It has a good cast. So as I said, Andy Samberg is the lead character. Then the love interest is Christian Milioti, who, um, mm. Milioti, yeah, I think that's how Yeah, Milioti is, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> who you might know from the mother from How I Met Your Mother. And then J.K. Simmons, uh, Peter Gallagher is the father in it. And that's kind of mainly it, but uh, maybe a few other recognizable faces throughout. But essentially it plays on the whole time loop thing they have to repeat every day at this wedding it's christian miliotti's sister's wedding and then andy sandberg is going basically as a plus one to it and they find this cave and the cave andy sandberg finds this cave and the cave kind of sends him into this time loop and he slowly kind of lives this wedding over and over again until he basically ends up luring other people to the cave either by accident or on purpose and that's kind of how it plays out. You just see this kind of like romance side to it. And it, it is essentially a rom-com. But uh, as I said, being self-aware, like the whole time loop thing and knowing that like Groundhog Day, like they're not going to compete with Groundhog Day. So you might as well just kind of veer away from that. And even like Edge yeah. of Tomorrow kind of set the parameters even further along with Happy Death Day. So they basically just skip the whole kind of exposition side of it they kind of skim through it all really quickly and they just kind of show the enjoyment you could have if you were in this time loop and what you could get away with and it basically the core of the story is Andy Samberg and Christian Milioti um 
fallen in love with in the time loop and then realizing that they kind of have to get out of it. And uh, it's got some really funny moments, like laugh out loud moments in it. And uh, just an enjoyable watch throughout, like really can't complain about this film at all. In terms yeah, do you of like, think the, the premise is, it doesn't work for it because I often get worried that that premise is going to start getting overdone now. I felt that with Happy Death Day and even Happy Death Day 2, the second one, which was more self-aware. You know, you start to think like, is this going to get, you know, used too often? But you seem to think it works for Palm Springs. Like, do you think um, it's, it's you overdone see- or... I feel like it helped that uh, obviously Groundhog Day was essentially a comedy, but there's some really hard hitting moments in in mm. Groundhog Day. Yeah. I thought for Happy Death Day, it was done some favors that it was kind of new to the genre. Same with like Edge of Tomorrow is action, Happy Death Day is horror and stuff like that. It was cool to see a rom-com in a time loop because it's the first kind of portrayal where they're really not alone in the time loop. And uh, they took like a slightly different angle in the fact that like Andy Samberg is essentially without ruining anything. He's in it from the start. So he's already gone through the whole kind of realization that this is a time loop. And you actually kind of follow Christian Miliotti's experience going into it. And um, so it is definitely very kind of similar. And some might say it might be a tiny bit overdone. But um, I just think because of how self-aware they are and the fact that it is really funny on top of that it does kind of make you just like forgive it quite a bit for using a concept that's been done so much. Mm. And um, as I said, I think that this is like a really kind of needed film at the moment because I actually can't remember the last new comedy film that I've seen in the last couple of years that I've sat down and really enjoyed and thought that it was very funny. I thought that this was like a really sweet, but also like interesting and funny film to watch. And would you recommend it? Do you think it's a, would you give it a a solid rating or? Uh, Yeah, so it is on, it's on Amazon at the minute. Oh yeah, uh, there's another thing I wanted to ask. Is this an Amazon original? Like is this like one that made by Prime Studios or what? I think that it was. Yeah, I think that it was Prime Studios. I'm struggling to remember here. I don't actually think I watched it on Amazon. No, yeah, it is. Mm. Yeah, but it it is an Amazon original. Uh, But um, so, so yeah, you can find it on Amazon essentially. It's very accessible. And um, I like it, it's just a film that if you're looking for a new film to watch and you want to put like no mental effort into it and still enjoy it, it's yeah. there for it's there for you to do so. Um, I so yeah, I'd rate it quite highly in in terms of what it is. Yeah. Similar to Jacks, I mean, like I I don't like giving like high ratings out of ten compared to like the films that we've previously rated out of ten. But uh, yeah, in terms yeah. of like the comedy genre that we that we do and I, I would give this like an a it is a very easy watch and to, like i'd recommend it to most people i'm gonna watch this tonight it, yeah, yeah i'm telling you man it's, it's a very very like just kind of turn it on and switch off kind of film enjoy the it like the fact that it's on the streaming service just makes everything so, yeah. so much better it really does yeah, doesn't exactly. it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such terrible a struggle that that's a drawing to, point yeah. it is such a struggle to face finding a film <laughs> mm, yeah. big time Big time. And one last question as well is Andy Samberg in this. I, I love Andy Samberg, but does he kind of just basically play the same character he plays in Brooklyn Nine-Nine or is he kind of a little bit more different in this or what? Because he has a bit of a habit of kind of just leaning into that kind of Andy Samberg type character. Man, Andy Samberg's Andy Samberg. I mean, like, you, you cannot watch <laughs> not an Andy Samberg film and expect anything but the whole Andy Samberg package. But uh, what I will say is, I I am I am quite like aware of like the whole Andy Samberg. He does play the same character and everything. And if you've seen him once, you've seen him. You know what you're gonna get. 
But I yeah. suppose him being like the love interest, like the protagonist and like falling in love in this and like having it kind of being the love is more mutual rather than him kind of chasing after the good looking girl like it usually is. I think that yeah, does kind yeah, of yeah. shift him as a character a bit and make yeah, him slightly yeah. more interesting. But as I said, I he's he's actually very funny in this. It is um it is kind of like a rare thing to find a comedy film nowadays that doesn't kind of rely on like really menial fart jokes and stuff like that. And this doesn't yeah, really this does play on like the kind of a whole like Groundhog Day humor. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it kind of reworks it quite well. Like it, one thing that I, I'll I won't ruin, but it's a very funny part that might get people involved is a uh, J.K. Simmons role is essentially Andy Samberg has this like wild session at the wedding one night with J.K. Simmons because he's going around meeting everyone at the wedding because he's obviously in the time loop. And he has this like wild session where they both end up on mental drugs and J.K. Simmons is like, I wish that like this night could go on forever. And Andy Samberg's like, it can. So he takes him to the cave <laughs> yeah. and gets him trapped in this time loop. So for the rest of the time loop, J.K. Simmons just hunts Andy Samberg down. <laughs> tortures them to death every night. Oh my so it's a uh, there's, there's really so funny elements but that happens that's yeah. like shown in like the first like 15 20 minutes so i'm not really ruining anything there but it certainly sounds them. um it sounds quirkier and kind of more out there than i expected because a lot of the promo for this is kind of um they they're probably trying to save you know the the weirdness of the film for, for the viewer to enjoy it because it didn't strike me as kind of that odd but even just that little scene alone sounds that it's like much more out there so i think i actually really want to see this film now i think you've, you've definitely really sold it to me like yeah no it's a, it's a very fun film i mean like we we have like or later on we're going to be talking about one night in miami very heavy film like next week we're going to be talking judas and the black messiah and stuff like that and then last week we had like minari and stuff it's just so refreshing to be able to talk yeah, about a film yeah. that's just <laughs> yeah. solely based on like just ridiculousness you know like just mm. like jokes mm. left right and center mm. big time and what, what rating would you give it uh right now, i'd probably say like an eight for what it is like i gotta oh, preface wow. it with nice. what it is i definitely yeah. i'd say an eight nice nice impressive all right well i guess i'll uh talk about my movie now so i watched uh not an easy watch at all that you two yeah. guys seem to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, watched, <laughs> I watched um, The Father, um, starring Olivia Colman and Anthony Hopkins. This is Oscar nominated. It's up for Best Picture, as is Anthony Hopkins for Best Actor in this film. Um, this is basically based on a play by Christopher Hampton. Um, if you haven't heard of him before, he has basically written some of the most famous plays, that many of which have been adapted into films. So he uh, wrote Dangerous Liaisons, a very famous one, Sunset Boulevard, um, Savages. You know, he's a very, very, very celebrated playwright. So this film is essentially about Anthony Hopkins, who is you know, an older man and within the first few minutes of the film you realise that he is struggling with dementia and I mean the film just gets into that straight away. Um and Olivia Coleman is his daughter and you know she's trying to, you know, organize you know him getting a carer and things like that and all um the movie from the outset is just totally gives you an unreliable narrative. So you you, you know within minutes you don't really know what is true and what isn't um and the whole idea of the film is to make you as confused as how anthony hopkins feels um in the film 
it's more or less all set in this one flat um, that he lives in. Um, it's a very, very small cast of about five people and you can literally see how it, what it works as a play. Um, although I would be interested to see how it works as a play because the film does a lot of... Um, you know, you're seeing it from more or less from Anthony Hopkins' perspective, but because it's so muddled and confused with his dementia, you know, you're not really sure what to believe in terms of story and like characters and things like that. Um, and you know, he seems so sure of himself and then he'll get so confused the next minute. And a lot of it involves him having a conversation with a character one minute and then another character walks into the room. He doesn't know who that character is. You don't know who that character is either. Um, but you know, the character will immediately tell you within a few minutes of who they are. And you're, you're led to believe that that's who that character is. And then as the film goes on, they might reappear and that's not who the character is whatsoever. Um, very early on in the scene, like a woman walks in and she's his daughter and it's a different actress than Olivia Coleman. And, you know, I kind of thought the movie was going to take a complete left field and Olivia Coleman was going to be gone from the movie. That wasn't the case, but they had this character in it then for about five minutes and presented as his daughter. And you're kind of saying, well, now he's getting faces mixed up and scenarios. And uh, it's just a very, very heavy, heavy drama um about a you know a young a daughter who's you know has her own life and a husband and how she's kind of like almost burdened with her father you know uh, deteriorating um with dementia um but the film you know that's a very that could be a very you know done before uh, premise i think not that i've necessarily seen lots of movies about it but you know it's quite a it's quite a common story even just in terms of like real life a lot of people have kind of been affected by something similar to this so you could have gone a very bland route with it but the film is really really interested in how it models the narrative completely and you know you're you're kind of struggling to follow it too um but you know it's great in terms of like showing how Anthony Hopkins will his character who is also called Anthony by the way um, but he will get mixed up with something and then you will see you know maybe 20 minutes later into the film how he got that mixed up why he got that mixed up why he's mixing up things um, it also has Imogen Poots in it for a small role and she's actually oh, really? extremely good in this film yeah I was surprised to see her in this um, I and I was actually yeah, I was just thinking about, do you remember I spoke about, uh, God, it's a long time ago now, but Vivarium, that movie she was in with Jesse Eisenberg, uh, which the movie I wasn't crazy about, but she was really good in it. And she was really good in this for such a small role. Um, and and how was Anthony Hopkins? So I was literally just about to go on to him next. Within three minutes of the film, Anthony Hopkins is just giving the performance of his life. I mean, <laughs> my God. Like, I mean, with it, literally, I was, it, I was so good to see him on screen again because he's just such a titan of an actor. Yeah, he really is. I just feel it's been so long since he's, like, had a role that's, like, that he's just so perfectly fits into. And, you know, he's both, like, you know, perfectly eloquent in the film and, you know, this kind of brash... Uh, man who's frustrated and angry and you know he's refusing to get a carer throughout the film and stuff and you know he's clearly a very independent man and stuff and yet he's so vulnerable and how Anthony Hopkins gets that across with just his the slightest facial expression you know even his body language changes from you know he's really limber at the start and then as the movie goes on you see him becoming more frail not not even physically just out of his own kind of like he's mentally exhausted by how confused he's getting and um, 
it's not an easy watch. It's one of the most upsetting films I've watched in a long time. Oh, it's a very upsetting, yeah. It's it's it really tough like to watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just dour from the start and you know, it doesn't it doesn't really improve, it only gets worse. But in saying that, it's an absolute must watch for this year. It, it is definitely deserving of its spot in the the Oscars section, in the best picture section. In saying that, you know, like I mean I haven't seen them all yet. For, for the moment, I still think that I want something like Sound of Metal to actually win Best Picture or even Mank. But, you know, this is the this is the film that I feel belongs in the thing because we talked about, you know, Promising Young Woman and Minari. And I, I, I do think Minari belongs in there too. But, you know, this film has really been a mixed bag of Best Picture movies. Um, but this one... You know, if it was any other year, if it wasn't pandemic year, you know, this this it holds up against Mank and Sound of Music big time, and um, despite it being really difficult to so, watch, I would love to see how it works as a play. Um, but I I would hundred percent recommend this. But you know, don't go into this expecting anything less than a dour, sad <laughs> trip for the whole. Would, what would you say about so you don't really think that it should win Best Picture, or you don't want it to win Best Picture, but um. What would you say in terms of best actor? Do you think I, I think I think Hopkins could do it, and I think he would one hundred percent deserve it. Um, and I think the only real contender he has is Gary Oldman in Mank. Um, those are the that's the only other performance this year. But I think Hopkins could easily run away with it this year, and I think he fully deserves it after watching this film. Olivia Coleman is superb as well, and I she's great in everything she's in. Yeah. But you know, it's just Hopkins just every time he's on screen, you are just like captivated by his performance. And it's great because, you know, he's not necessarily, you know, nice in this film. And it shows kind of a nasty side to dementia and how he can be nasty to people around him. Um, and that can make it difficult to watch him on screen and, and relate to him. But, you know, by the end of the movie, you're just so, you know, you just feel you're so empathetic for his character. And I mean, just Hopkins is just, he's one of those talents that just, comes around every generation and you know it's just it's been such a long time since he's been in a film like this um and i I genuinely would love to see him take take an oscar for this year um and definitely go watch the father if you're into if you're just into like you know it's this was a film that was very actor focused you know in terms of like cinematography and stuff and there was some interesting cinematography and i think there was a real skill in how they blocked um the film and you know how they edited it and things like that and that does deserve credit but in terms of like an actor focused movie this is what you want to see if you're watching a movie for performances go go watch the father it is top class and it doesn't have the kind of syndrome that we were talking about with ma rainey's black bottom where because it was originally attended as a play it doesn't feel like a film no like i mean so i i while i was watching it going i can see how this works as a play there is so much filmmaking techniques in it that gives it such a fresh flavor that makes it feel like it's a film and you know it's not just four people sitting in a room shouting at each other which we'll get on to later with the movie we're talking about tonight (laughs) (laughs) you know it's not like it looks like a play it looked like yeah exactly you know when you go to the cinema and they have trailers for like the nutcracker live 
Yeah. It's like, oh, I guess that was filmed on the West End. And it's like, that's exactly. cool. Did they film? Did they do that as well? Because like, from one angle, I'll fucking do it. But, but that's exactly what it was like. Whereas this was more creative, and uh, the soundtrack was great as well, and it was much more immersive than you know. I couldn't get into Matt Rainey's Black Bottom because I felt all the characters were doing, you know, they were, you know, they were big famous actors pretending to be these characters that I didn't buy for a second. Whereas, you know. You know, when you cast someone like Olivia Coleman and, and Anthony Hopkins, they're going to be two people that are just going to, you know, immerse themselves in the role and you're going to just fully be into it from the start. Um, in terms of a rating, I would I would give this, you know, uh, a, a high eight. It's extremely good. And, you know, it's only an hour, 30 minutes long and it, it gets exactly what it needs to get across in those 90 minutes. Not a minute is spared in this film. It's really, really good. Nice so a high eight, Jesus! All right, okay. High eight. I'm gonna Must get around to that. All right. Well, I think now I'm gonna have to watch all of these films. Definitely. The Father's, <laughs> the father's probably gonna go down a bit lower, even though like I really want to watch it. But Jesus, am I not? Yeah, it's not easy. It <laughs> I'm gonna have to easy. find some form of mindset to, to get onto that. But um, should we jump straight into One Night in Miami then? Yeah, let's go for it. But it's interesting to say that we're talking. We're talking about the father who, which was originally intended as a play. And it was a play anyway, but uh, so was One Night in Miami. Uh, the original writer was Ken Powers, who actually later just went on to adapt it. And he wrote this film as well. So he wrote both the play and the film. Uh, it's directed by Regina King. And I think it's an Amazon Prime original, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's Prime, yeah. Prime, Prime yeah. Video original. Yeah. Amazon Studios. Or... Yeah, again, I didn't watch it on Prime, but it is on a streaming service. Uh, there's not, The Father's not on anything as of yet, Ian, is it? No, it's not. Not as of yet. It's not readily okay. available as of yet. So you were pirating illegally? No, no, no. <laughs> so you admit it. Essentially, one night in Miami, one night in Miami is the after party of Cassius Clay or Muhammad Ali's original heavyweight title win. And so it was in his early career when he's twenty two. His first, his first world championship, and following that, he goes back to a small motel room, a black motel room down the road where Malcolm X is staying. And he invites Jim Brown, the famous football player, and Sam Cooke, the famous soul singer. And of course, Malcolm X is there, who's the famous revolutionary uh, during the civil rights movement, during the black civil rights movement. And we've covered Malcolm X in terms of the three hour Denzel Washington film on this podcast before. So we are a bit familiar. And it's the film is just the entire premise is just them sitting in this motel room talking about black civil rights and just kind of life in general. And so and kind of, you guys... their role in the civil rights movement as well. It's like they each kind of have a, yeah. they're kind of getting into this like philosophical, you know, thing about they all have a part to play because they're well-known figures and they're, they just so happen to be black as well. Yeah. It's a, essentially a debate for the entire film between yeah. the four. And uh, you kind of see the relationships between them and kind of the roles that, or the life paths that they went down. Now this is fictional. We have to say, although it is based on, Apparently it did actually happen, but no one knows like what they talked about or anything along yeah, that Yeah, when you like, see, you know, the history. first thing I saw in this film was, you know, inspired by true events. And I just went, well, yeah. this is going to be complete fiction. You know, this that doesn't mean complete fiction. anything. Yeah, but um, so essentially the original story is that after that original heavyweight uh, win and the title, uh, he, him and Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali and Ma Ma Malcolm X went back to the motel and shared ice cream and had a soda fountain and uh, apparently Jim Brown and Sam <laughs> Cooke did eventually come back as well but I don't know if it turned into this big heated debate but uh, anyway what what did you guys think about it Jack why don't you start us off 
I just thought it was really boring. Unfortunately, I just I just got vibes of this is a play. Now that you said it to me, and you really, like when we said it there about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I just like it started off so well, and I was like, wow, this is gonna be like an amazing story because I didn't know anything about um at this movie at all, like nothing at all. Um, I thought um I got it mixed up with some other film, and I was like, oh, like. This sounds good, actually. When I read the description, I was like, this actually sounds really good. And it started really well for me. But then, like, once they got into the hotel room, I just thought, like, I can't kind of... I don't know, it was extremely painful watch for me. Uh, really? And then when, I, then when I looked up the, like, the fact that none of it even happens, I just kind of thought that this is all weightless conversation. Because, like, none of it actually happened. I think that is kind of the issue with, like, applying fictional stories to real historical figures. Yeah, and I really didn't like the guy who played Malcolm X. Really, yeah, I actually, I, just, I actually quite liked it. Quite liked his performance. Performance. So that was uh, Kingsley Ben Adir. So not to be mixed up with Ben Kingsley, but um, <laughs> they, none of these actors are really heavy hitting actors. Like Ellie Gorey, Cassius Clay. This is really one of his first time roles. Aldous Hodge, who played Jim Brown, hasn't really been in much either, and neither has Leslie Odom Jr., who played Sam Cooke. And those are essentially the four characters in the film. But uh, what did you think, Ian? Um, you know, I, I'm leaning on the same thing as Jack. I just thought this was really dull. Um, and, you know, my problem with these types of movies are, you know, at the end of the day, it's a it's a story about civil rights. And, you know, um, I felt, you know, the, the actors playing their characters were just caricatures of those characters. And, you know, we talked about Malcolm X, you know, in our Spike Lee podcast, which I wasn't crazy about, but I really felt Denzel did a great job, um, you know, encapsulating Malcolm X's life. And, you know, he's such a huge, um, he's such a huge person, you know what I mean, Malcolm X. And, you know, he's just kind of like a little bit character in this, which is fine, but that's completely to the movie's detriment um, as well. And I think everyone's just kind of like a caricature of what the actual person was like. Maybe that's intentional. Um, but I also just kind of think as well, my biggest problem with these movies is they're dull, they're boring, um, and they're Hollywood's way of kind of saying, oh, look, we, we do care about, you know, the struggle of, of black people, but we're only going to look at it through the lens of the civil rights movement back in the 1960s because it's like almost trying to like park it there. Whereas, you know, if you want to tell a story about race, there's plenty of modern stuff that you could, you know, go with. And, you know, these movies are just what Hollywood people like to see about a race, yeah. a racial movie. And that's the only reason why this was nominated. You know, I there think is they're absolutely, easy. they're easy. They're, they're the easy way out. And, you know, I was even looking at who directed this. This is directed by Regina King. Uh, who's an actress who I really think just got her hands on this. She has no real prior directing experience and that, and it showed and um, the actors' performances were, you know, dull and um, nothing in this film. Uh, it sucked me in, you know, the cinematography was boring. It reminded me a lot of, of Ma Rainey's Black, Black Bottom, the way it was, um, you know, the way it was filmed and shot and everything just felt so artificial. And, you know, there's yeah. one thing for things to kind of feel artificial on purpose, but I feel like, you know, it, it was like everything's clean and, you know, done competently, but just no imagination whatsoever. And, you know, I don't even think I'd want to see this play because I don't like, you know, somebody taking that much, um, what's the word, you know, intellectual um kind of like you know liberties with 
a historical thing that was meant to happen and you know it's almost like you know wouldn't it be cool if you know if martin if you know malcolm x and you know muhammad ali were talking about civil rights and they're you know they came out of it and muhammad ali said that's why he's joining the the, the you know islam and stuff and all it was just a little bit like it was just it was very corny you know i just wasn't into it at all and i i, I just think you know it would not get any i don't think it deserves anything in terms of awards uh, i don't it's, i don't I, i'm it's on. important to say that it, it is nominated for three oscars so that is a uh, best performance by an actor in a supporting role leslie autumn jr i think that that's sam cook um, Sam, in this, okay. best adapted screenplay by Kemp Powers, and then best achievement in music written for motion pictures. Mm. I don't know if the music stood out to me at all in this. Although no. Sam Cook, obviously, the, the Leslie Autumn Jr. who played Sam Cook had a an amazing voice, and the Sam's Cook Cook's music is brilliant. So like, yeah, I enjoyed, yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, there's beautiful songs in it, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that it's the to the films you know, credit for sticking in good songs. Like, but I, know but I, I did, I got to say, I did uh, like Leslie Autumn Jr.'s performance. I can see why that was nominated in the year that we're sure. in. Sure, sure. I don't, but uh, I, I'm i going to like veer off for a second on this from your guys' opinion because it's very surprising to me that I actually didn't mind this film. But I think really? it's because I went into this film expecting another Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because I, I kind of knew the premise before going in. And yeah. uh, I was just, I, I actually was really interested in the historical figures, whereas what was happening on screen was totally secondary to to me. Like, I really didn't yeah. care what was happening on screen. That meant nothing to me, but like, just kind of, like while I was watching it, I found myself like Googling things about Sam Cooke and Googling things about like mm. Cassius Clay's and Malcolm X's interactions and stuff like that. So it did kind of get me engrossed in that side of it. I also thought that there was like some cool kind of contrast to like Malcolm X and Sam Cooke and the fact that Sam Cooke was obviously a massive producer and he was making a, a fortune off music and his role in kind of like the British invasion and stuff like that and his relationship with the Rolling Stones and seeing yeah. little little things like that kept me engrossed. Um, I also think that whilst it was obviously very much about civil rights, there were some moments that felt kind of new. Like I, I love Jim Brown's encounter at the very start with... Um, in georgia with like an old family friend who's also yeah that was great in relation to nfl and then they they seem like they're having such a nice conversation like they seem like they get along really well and they're they're really good friends and then he goes to help him move a bureau in his house and he offers to help move furniture in his house and he basically says no we don't allow black people he uses the n-word but we don't allow allow black people into the house i thought that like really took me took me out of it and i i like seeing muhammad ali and uh but i i get what you mean that they were caricatured in the sense that it was it was very hard to see any kind of reality behind these characters um and i get it because they're 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 such larger than life people in real life you know muhammad ali is was this you know crazy you know guy that was full of personality as was malcolm x you know what i mean and you know what i mean you're really captivated by them when you watch you know old old clips of them and things like that and you're right turn there is some more interesting things in this film that other films haven't done that are based around the civil rights movement like i mean the, some of the conversations they have about you know not only their struggle you know against the white man but the struggles within you know the black community and how 
they don't all necessarily see eye to eye and how yeah. some black people feel even marginalized within the black community. And, you know, they kind of mentioned the whole thing about light skin black and how Malcolm X is so hardline that that can alienate, you know, black people. Um, yeah. And also I find really interesting, you know, Malcolm X's issue with Sam Cooke was that, you know, Sam Cooke could have been writing songs about their struggle, but he wasn't. And someone like Bob Dylan, who has no obligation to write it, was writing yeah. about the struggle. I love but, that you know, scene, what was interesting, you know? What was interesting about that was, you know, you can kind of see Sam Cooke's hesitancy because he kind of thinks, well, Bob Dylan's very privileged that he's a white man and he can afford to do that. And I'm a black man. And if I want to survive in this industry, I also have to appease, you know, the white audiences but then you see a change in sam cook's character later in the film which works very well you know it's not it's not a bad film by any means it's not terrible um it just didn't captivate me enough and i just felt a little bit bored throughout the whole thing um you know it's not that it's i don't don't know about you guys um like whilst i i definitely understand that this was kind of a very kind of droll film I think that it felt a bit short. Did did it either use? I I agree. Yeah. I think that you could flesh out the characters a bit more. Sure. I feel like the the actual night felt very short. <laughs> like like I, I like I've seen films where it's basically been like a, a cast basically just in ca- like interacting with each other in the one spot for the entire film, and I feel by the end you know the ins and outs of every single character. You know all of like their personality flaws, their personality traits, and everything along those lines. I felt like I only really got to know Sam X and uh, Sam Cook and Malcolm X in this. I don't know how you guys felt. I felt like Jim Brown and Cassius Clay actually really went under the radar. Yeah. What do you think, Jack? Um. Yeah. Like, I thought that they should have. I I disagree with you. I kind of think it felt long in the room because I was just not enjoying it. I <laughs> I, I wanted more time of like their backgrounds, and like I wanted to see like them more interactions in them like in their lives before they came to the hotel room like i yeah i i also thought the film was very just flat it was shot really flat or something and like it just looked really poor i don't know there, what it is with amazon movies sometimes but like they kind of look like crap sometimes. there wasn't a lot yeah, of yeah, kind of like was, intention to immerse the audience no. Um, obviously, aside from like the shots at the start where you see like Muhammad Ali in the swimming pool and stuff, and, and did I p- get something wrong there? I'm pretty sure there was a digital camera in that pool. No, he's, like, I'm he's almost got, like, sure he was shooting on a digital camera. <laughs> he's got like this giant contraption that's yeah. like it had a screen. <laughs> I'm like near sure it had a screen, but uh, obviously they wouldn't let anything like that into the film. But there was a. Uh, I like the kind of contrast between like the white hotel and the black hotel and stuff, but yeah, I, I guess yeah, yeah. like it, it definitely didn't go out of its way to kind of build the world around them. And I don't think that it went entirely out of its way to kind of develop the characters a lot. It was like Jim Brown at the end of his career and Cassius Clay at the start of his career. And I actually felt like they portrayed Muhammad Ali as a bit of a kind of like a timid uh, character in the room. Definitely one of the quieter voices. And, oh, they uh, always kind of, I felt, dumbed him down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I though... felt like he was really stupid. Whereas, yeah, he's, and you he's know, renownedly you known. Yeah, yeah, he was extremely outspoken and well spoken activist. Yeah, well, you know, they kind of, I, I felt they kind of pulled him back because, you know, Sam Cooke feels so alienated in the conversation that he storms out at one point, and it's Cassius Clay who, you know, kind of turns him around and kind of gets him on his side and kind of gets him to see his perspective because Muhammad Ali had a real um, skill of, you know, um, you know, 
depicting the black man's struggle in such a way that was like almost you know not funny but you know what i mean he, he could tell stories in such a way that yeah. would really captivate you and kind of you know he didn't come across as like lecturing as, as Malcolm X did. And, you know, he kind of just pointed out things that he went through in yeah. his kind of, with, with his personality. And you're right. I think they, they, you know, they made him seem like the, the kind of maligned character in the story. I think, you know, you're saying to him, you know, it was a bit long or a bit short. And Jack, you said it's a bit long. I agree with both of you in that. I felt it was a bit long because, you know, you had 30 minutes at the start where they tried to squash each character's story. In, and then you had an hour and a half in the motel room. Um, whereas if you actually want to get a bit, creative with this kind of thing you could have done a little you know six-part series five-part series where each character um or each historical figure had their own kind of episode you know muhammad ali had his episode malcolm x jim brown and sam cook and then it all culminates in this one night where they all meet and discuss and i think that would have been a little bit more interesting maybe and um, you know what i mean and yeah kind of get a little bit more insight but then again that could be you know that's that's yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And I think that you would have gotten a lot more human value from it. But we've seen like like filmmakers approach these kind of historical icons in the past. And even like with Spike Lee, like Malcolm X, that film was three hours long. And I yeah, still yeah, felt yeah. like, like even though obviously was extremely yeah. well developed, I, I, I still felt like we didn't know a lot about like his flaws when he was actually yeah, Malcolm sure. X. And I feel like Malcolm X's flaw in this film is that he's so devoted to the black cause yeah, rather than yeah. like having actually any humanistic Human flaws you know yeah, and so, uh, yeah. i think i feel like the same for sam cook that sam cook's flaws was that he was like too focused on his career rather than kind of like being in any way kind of like just flawed as a celebrity in general and uh mm. Like these were flawed men, you know. There's no, there's no oh, like addressing no, no that. Yeah. Like there is some dark history behind all of these men, and uh, obviously a lot of great history behind these men. But you know, that's the issue with these films: is that you're taking historical figures, you're applying them to fiction, and you're not developing them as characters, as fictional characters, because they're historical figures. So you only yeah, have so yeah. much scope that you can approach with actually making an entertaining character. You and know? look, yeah, exactly. And like, look, that's not the film's intention. They're not intending to go out there and you know tell each character story and point out their flaws and stuff. Um, but in saying that, it takes away from the movie then because you're not watching four characters that are written by somebody you're watching some you know playwrights interpretation of these four extremely extremely iconic people in history do you know what i mean yeah. and people want to see portrayals of them on screen in a realistic way you know what i mean that's why biopics you know they tend to always show the dark side of people's lives as well and, and the the other things about them whereas you know this almost felt like a little bit of like a someone's kind of like you know like like who would you like invite the, to your celebrity dinner your favorite dinner exactly that's yeah. exactly that you took the words right out of my isn't mouth. that that's it exactly actually is it and is. i and like what yeah. you said about biopics in the sense that they show their flaws i even find like when you have like a three-hour biopic you still fail at that so like yeah, the fact that yeah, they're cramming sure. these four massively like like each could run a film by by themselves Ooh, two of them cool. have you know two films like yeah he, like muhammad ali and malcolm x have both starred in like leading biopics and um, yeah it, it, like their stories have started sorry but um 
Yeah, I get what you mean. It it did. It just felt like I wonder what all of these like really cool like figures would say in a room together. Say like, in, how in, they in a room together. Exactly. Yeah. It's when I looked it up while I was watching that, and I was like, "This is based off of it." Like I hated the whole. This is based off of true events. I was like, "Okay, let me look this up." And then it was like, "This is based off of like a complete fiction, basically." And yeah. it's like, okay. Yeah, it's, you know, what someone did there was, you know, they, you know, you hear a story that like, oh, you know, there was this party and Muhammad Ali was there and and Jim Brown and Malcolm X and they were all in the same room together while talking. And, you know, someone just went in there and just completely filled in the blanks. You know what I mean? They could have literally sat there and not mentioned the civil rights movements once. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I highly doubt it, but you know what I mean? You know... Uh, like they I even thought like there were some anything. aspects of it like in terms of remember at the end it it ends on like so so the film ends on like obviously Muhammad Ali announcing that he is Muhammad Ali rather than Cassius Muhammad Clay Ali, yeah. and then it just cuts to it and it was like Malcolm X was shot two days later yeah yeah but it also yeah, shows was... like a lot of footage in between that and it's like what were these two days from you know yeah, I, yeah, I didn't really yeah, like, there was a lot of things that went into this why film. mention that if like it's not true yeah it just it 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 felt like very strange that like whilst it was fiction they were also heavily tying it to the real world and it felt like malco like it felt like ma rainey's black bottom just which more familiar characters but less familiar actors it was it was a confusing one for me yeah i mean i think that you know, I think I probably went into this with a bit of a negative outlook. Um, and when I'm talking about it now, I can see some, you know, positive, um, positive aspects to it. But in saying that, you know, I don't think, you know, when I watch a movie like The Father and like just how creative it was, and you know, I just always feel that the Oscars is just always so weird because just the, 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 the standard of films just never really match up. You know what I mean? And look, I know this isn't up for best picture or anything like that. Um, but I just, you know, I feel like something like this and the trailers of Chicago 7 are almost of like a bit of a bygone era. You know what I mean? They're, they're kind of movies that... They're mid-2000 you know, movies. Yeah, yeah, they're mid-2000 movies and I just don't really see the appeal of them anymore. But look, I, as I well as this is, it, it is important to say that we've covered a heap of civil rights movement uh, mm. films on this podcast already. And, you know, yeah. this podcast hasn't been even running a year and most of the films we've talked about have been new and in quick succession of each other. So sure. it is an overdone, uh, like kind of subsection of film. Uh, I feel yeah. like the whole topical era of civil rights is just that it is topical at the minute. And uh, yeah. Hollywood is doing what they always do. And they're making a business package out of the yeah, civil rights movements and the, and the struggles yeah. of the of the black people of America. And yeah, I, I feel like time. people need to stop eating it up, you know? Yeah, big time. 100%. Like, it's like people watch it and they go, oh, you know, that gives me such a good perspective on the civil rights movement. And it's just like, my God. You know, we, ha- we had Green Book, you know what I mean, two years ago as well. Like, you know what I mean? Green Book, Selma, you know what I mean? Just, all, just mercy, yeah. All, I mean, like, the, yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah will be covering exactly. next week. Trial of yeah, exactly. 7, like, it's just it's it is it's literally like one civil rights movement film after another and yeah. you know like like you were saying i think they were all covered in the mid 2000s in the early 2000s i don't think that they need to come out as much as they do uh but um i also feel like as well and i don't mean this in a to, not to look into it too much but i feel like 
by these movies getting made as well, it's kind of Hollywood's way of like saying we're addressing racism, but also saying like, oh, but it was racism that happened in the 60s yeah. and not racism that happens now. You when there's I mean? so like, much potential for the racism that so happens now. so much potential. Now. You know what and I mean? Like, why, even like... if you think of like Fruitvale Station and, uh, you know, films like Fruitvale Station and uh, even, which was more, okay, it was more recent. It was in the late 70s, but um, When They See Us as well, you know, they were more interesting films, I felt, and, and yeah. for TV shows than, you know, these fucking 60s civil rights kind of, oh, you know, they're serious, but I'll kind of make you feel good as well. You know, they're just, it's just boring. Yeah. You know well, that, that is even like, like if you look back on when like films like Boys in the Hood were released, they were released in their yeah, era yeah. and that's why they in were so era, popular, yeah. you know, it's... Exactly, yeah. There, there is kind of a beat missing with these films and I can genuinely say I haven't enjoyed one for a good while. I think the last one I enjoyed that was solely based on the civil rights movements was uh, Black Klansman and obviously that was yeah, because it was, yeah. it was such a great approach to it. And that's an interesting story as well, that whole story of Ron Stallworth. Oh, couldn't be more entertaining a, a story, you know? Mm. So that's that's even has the plot on its side as well. Obviously, it deals with race massively, but, you know, the plot is genuinely, like, you know, adds a lot of tension and thrills and stuff as well, which, you know, Spike Lee is super, you know, even you said Boys in the Hood, do the right thing. Another, you know, yeah. movie, you know, about t racial tensions and things like that and all. And, you know, th th they're just not lazy movies and there's, there's ways to be creative with it if you're going to go about that and this just wasn't it but look in saying that you know i'm not saying this was a a bad movie by any means and i think if someone sat down to watch it they'd, they'd probably enjoy it um i just felt it dragged a little bit and um, i know we're coming up on time so we should probably give this a, a rating for our viewers so um jack do you want to give this a rating yeah i'll give it like a i i'd give it like a 4.5 i give it like a five actually i'll mm -hmm. give it a four I've, I've been shitting on this movie. I can't just be nice to it. Uh, yeah, sure. Tierna? Um, I think I gave Ma Rainey's a four and I like this a lot more than Ma Rainey's um, because of the historical accent, I, I, because of the historical aspect. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a six. Okay. I'm going to meet you guys in the middle and I'm going to give it a five in that it's competent in a lot of ways and it's not, you know, a bad movie by any means, but it's just pretty lackluster and it just you know it doesn't it, it didn't it didn't offer me anything that i hadn't seen already before i wouldn't necessarily recommend this film but this film was actually recommended to me so it's it <laughs> you know i don't know maybe it, it's not my cup of tea maybe it's other people's cup of tea sure you know? for sure all right i think that's us pretty much yeah i don't think we have anything else to add on our are we actually covered a lot in that podcast considering <laughs> considering it was just an hour long so um yeah look guys thank you so much for listening next week we are going to talk about another oscars movie we're going to talk about um judas and the black messiah um which is starring lakeith stanfield and am i right saying daniel kaluuya is in that yep. as well yeah, that is, yeah. i actually uh, i know very little about this movie as well so i'm you know i'm pretty excited to, to watch it and talk about it and um but as usual guys thank you so much for listening and um, we're very happy that we can keep talking about newer movies as well and um, so tune in again next week guys and you can follow us on all our socials please follow us on spotify give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts because that helps us very very much and we will see you next week guys thanks guys see you next week guys